I've got some statistics for you guys. The theme for today is the time is now. So I figured some time statistics would be fitting to start us off to kind of get us in a time mindset as we prepare to look at some points that, that God has given me this morning. All right. <clears throat> if you go to high school, if you go to high school, and I believe most of us have, and you finish high school, averaging out the number of days per year, and then the number of hours per day, by the time you graduate high school, you would have spent roughly 600 days at school. That's 20 months of your life would be at school. That's just for high school. So now you've graduated high school, right? You step into the workforce. You work from the time you're 18 to 30. We're going to start at 30 just to see how this goes. By the time you are 30 years old, now this is like minimum here. This is 40-hour weeks. Most of us, most of y'all, I'm not going to say me because I never work more than 40 hours a week. Thank God. Um, some of y'all are 50, 60, some 70 hours a week at work. So this does not include that. But by the time you're 30 years old, if you work from 18 to 30, you would have spent 800 days working. That's 26 months working at work. If you work until you're 45, you're going to spend 1,800 days at work. 60 months, five full years of your life will be at work. If you go to the Standard retirement age in America, which is amazingly getting farther and farther back every year. But if you work till 65, 65 years old, you would have worked 3,133 full days. These are 24-hour days. Like, it's not how many days you would have worked. This is how, many, how much time you would have spent at work. 3,133 days, 104 months 8.7 years of your life will be at work. According to thefactsite.com, you will spend five years of your life waiting at traffic lights, lines, and drive throughs Five years waiting. That's a lot of time. You will spend one year looking for lost possessions. <laughs> Some of us more than that. Some have already spent that year. They're, they're going second time around, rollover. Some of us, you will spend two weeks kissing another person. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the little ones that had to stay in, in, in the service this morning. But your significant other, you're going to spend on, this is not just, you know, two full weeks. If you kiss somebody for two full weeks, that's what you're going to do. And then, in honor of Father's Day, in honor of Father's Day, the average person is going to spend four years of their life doing housework. Four years doing housework. Now, I... It doesn't say male or female, so I'm going to guess that males is about, you know, a day or two, and then, and then the women is upwards of eight or nine years. So, but this is the things that we spend our time on, and if you add all that stuff up, when you take a look, I didn't even talk about sleep. I didn't even talk about sleep. When you add all this stuff up, you start to realize how much time in your life you actually have to work with. So the question that we're posing today is what are you going to do with that time? Because the time is now. And we're going to be in second, uh, First Peter, if you want to go ahead and start turning there. First Peter is where we're going to take our verses from. 
Um, I found that when I'm preparing a message, I'm either going to have like one or two verses or I'm going to have 10 or 20. This is one of those 10 or 20 ones, okay? So bear, bear with us as we, as we progress through them, but you have to understand the context of the passage. You have to understand how amazing all of this stuff works together, how good it is, how well it's connected, and the true message that is trying to get pushed across from Peter in this letter. The time is now. We're going to be reading our verse, chapter 2, 1 through 3. We're going to read that, then we're going to jump back to chapter 1, then we're going to jump ahead to chapter 2, and then we're going to go to a different book, so just follow along. Here we go. It's up on the screen, Sky Bible. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, Jump back to verse 1. Therefore, I've been taught that whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to find out what the therefore is there for. Okay? So, whenever there's a therefore, you have to look before it so that you can know what it's saying therefore too. Okay? So, let's, we're going to look at three or four verses from chapter 1. We'll just run through those real quick so that we can get... I'm not going to read all of chapter 1, but we need to know what, what's happening, what the therefore is there for. So, first, 1 Peter chapter 1, probably on the same page, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So in these verses, these two verses right here, we see two things. First off, in verse number one, put that back up on the screen. To those chosen. I'm talking to the saved this morning. I'm talking to people that are saved. Okay, if you're unsaved, come see me. We'll remedy that. By the power of what Jesus has done on the cross, you can accept salvation for your sins this morning and this can be talking directly to you the gospel the gospel god created us to be with him our sins cannot be removed by good deeds our sins separated us from god oh my goodness sins cannot be removed by good deeds paying the price for sin jesus died and rose again Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ alone will have eternal life, and life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. The gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, we are ingraining that in our students so that they are able to communicate the truth of the gospel to those that they come in contact with. Okay, to those chosen, chosen, we're talking about the saved here. Okay, and then in verse number two, this letter is through the sanctifying work. We're going to be looking at what sanctification is, how it works, and the things that the Holy Spirit has called us into through salvation. Okay, sanctification is a big word. I'm going to go ahead and give you my definition of it. The process of sanctification is the continued and improving possession of the mind of Christ. Okay, I'll say that one more time. The process of sanctification, which it is a process, it is not an immediate thing. The process of sanctification is the continued and improving. That's critical. It has to be improving. Possession of the mind of Christ. How Jesus looked at the world. How Jesus conducted himself. 
we are supposed to model our lives after the example of Jesus Christ. And we model, we're going to see in verse number 13 here, that it's our minds that prepare us for action. It's in the mind. All right, let's go to the next verse. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, your minds have to be ready for action because without the mind telling your body what to do, your body is not going to do it. Somebody tell me to go back to those doors over there. No. Am I doing it? No, because my mind doesn't want to. My mind is not telling my body to go back to those doors. But I can, and I will, just to prove a point. I should have picked something closer. With your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have hope. We have hope through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's what all of this first chapter is talking about. What Jesus did and how it affects us and how good it is. The hope that we have in it. So prepare your minds. This is to you, chosen. Prepare your minds for action. Are you preparing? Are you prepared for action? Prepare your mind. Next verse. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. God is calling us to a very high standard. Very high standard. Be holy, because I am holy. Holy literally just means set apart. It's different. God is completely different. And in the work of sanctification, we should be stepping closer and closer daily and daily closer to modeling our lives after Jesus Christ. We should not be getting worse as Christians. We should be getting, I don't know if better is the right word, but we should be getting closer to living the perfect life that Jesus lived the longer we live and the longer we study God's word. As we walk in the spirit, guys, we are not walking in the flesh anymore. When you walk in the spirit, you're not as susceptible to the temptations of the devil. And in not being susceptible to the temptations, you're not going to sin because that's where sin happens, through temptation, which comes from the devil. But when you can put on the armor of God and you actually know what it's talking about and then you can rest in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we should be getting better, church. <laughs> All right. Next. Verse 23, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You have been born again. You are a new creature. A new creature. The old has passed away. We are supposed to, following along the lines of getting better and better, the sanctification process, we should be laying our lives down daily, crucifying the flesh. Crucifying it. Dying to the things of this world that we once put our hope and our trust and, and our faith in. At one point in our lives, we, 
We said, this is, what import, this is what's important to me. This is what I need to put all my attention on. Well, guys, I just got back from the beach, okay? And I don't know about you, but when you build sandcastles on the beach, you're like, you dig down and you find water, right? Isn't that the best feeling in the world? Yeah, it is, all the little kids in this room. But when you dig down and you find water and you get that, that hole just bigger and bigger, the more water that gets in it, all the sand around the edges gets weak and starts crumbling in. And then guess what? When I went back the next day, the hole wasn't there. I know! <laughs> but I put my energy into that hole. I really did. I love digging holes. I spent lots of time, lots of energy, calories. My back got burnt. For what? Something that's not even there anymore. You following? It's not even there. You couldn't tell where it was at all. Because I was putting my energy in the wrong thing. All right, let's get to the message. I'm serious. That was the intro. <laughs> Okay, all right, chapter one. So we see that this is to the chosen, the saved. It's about sanctification. It's about preparing our minds. It is about a high calling, and it is how it is possible through being born again. Okay? Let's get into this. In being born again, hold on before we get to the, yeah. In being born again, as we grow and continue in the sanctification process, we must learn to remove the things we once had in our lives. So it's not the typical growing up process because in growing up, babies have to learn to do things. In our sanctification process, we have to learn to undo things. We have to learn how to take things away we have to put ourselves in front of the mirror that is the Bible and let God say, that's not like me, that's not like me, that's not like me, it needs to go. All right, so, back to chapter 2, verse 1. Let's dismiss it. Give me that. Dismissal. At the end of the day, the school that we spent 600 uh, days at through our lives, they ring the bell and they say, all right, you're dismissed. You leave. You go. You're not there anymore. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, Peter is telling us five things that we are to dismiss from our lives. They should not be here. He's telling us to get rid of them. Get them gone. And we're going to look at each one of them. The first is, now, depending on the translation that you're looking at, they can say malice, they can say evil behavior, but there's five, there's five that we're going to look at here. All right. Rid yourselves of all malice. I'll carry this around. I don't want to keep walking back to my thing. Malice is evil behavior, maliciousness, badness, ill will, or a desire to injure. I think it's only fitting on Father's Day that I make a traffic joke. But men, it's not really a joke, it's kind of sad. But men, have you been in traffic and somebody cuts you off? Yeah. Man, I'd love to get a hold of that guy. I hope he gets in a wreck. You, you ever said that? Don't lie in church. I hope he gets pulled over. Oh, I say that a lot. Oh, you going to speed through here? Yeah, I'm going the speed limit. I hope you get pulled over. Cop passes you. Yes, Lord. I hope he gets pulled over. He needs to get what's coming to him. Have you forgotten chapter one already? Chapter 1 is literally all about the hope that we have in salvation that we don't get what we deserve. 
It's not about other people getting what they deserve or don't deserve. It's all about you not getting what you deserve. Because the beauty of the gospel You know, I, I hate to I hate to put it into just that little like, you know, the grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And like, I don't like to boil the gospel down to just that. I mean, it is true, but it's so much more. Do you think that's what Jesus would say if he's driving around in his 2017 Honda Accord and some guy passes him and he's like, man, that guy needs to get pulled over? I don't think so. Are we emulating the mind of Christ? We are putting these things off because, because we need to emulate God and his characteristics. Christian, Christian men, ill will and maliciousness should not be in our character. Evil behavior should not be in our character. Get rid of it. I'll say this again. The process of sanctification is the continued and improving possession of the mind of Christ. Verse 16 of chapter 1. Evil is not in him. Holiness is. He says, he is holy. Be holy, for I am holy. Evil is not in him. Let's move on. Deceit. And this is for gain. A decoy. A trick. A bait. A lure. Are there any fishermen in here? Duh, of course. Using the right bait is ideal to catch the right fish. Oh, this is good. Man, this happened weeks ago. I forgot about this. Okay, so me and Evelyn and Elijah were playing a game in the backyard. And what they were trying to do was they were trying to wrestle me, okay? Obviously, they could not because they're little children. But in the game, in the game, they were trying to sneak up on me, right? And so what I did was I said, oh, there's a stick in the yard. And I caught their attention with the stick. I picked it up and I said, oh, do you guys want to see something cool? And they were like, yeah, definitely. Boom, game's gone. They forgot about the game, right? I did not forget about the game. I'm like, check this out. Watch what I'm going to do with this stick. I'm going to throw it right over there. And then I'm going to do something over here. And then it's going to be awesome. Are you ready? And they were like, yeah. All eyes on the stick. And I threw it into the woods, and they were just like watching this stick sail into the woods. Nothing else is going to happen. And as soon as I throw this stick into the woods, I run up to them and I tackle them. Okay? I deceived them, I tricked them. Christian, deceit should not be in your character. When you're pulling stuff on people, that should not be in your character. That is not in the mind of Christ. We're not decoying people. We're not baiting people. I deceived them for my own gain. Deceit is not in the mind of Christ. What is? Truth, 
honesty. That's what we should be holding on to. That's what should be coming out of our mouths. Next, hypocrisy. Is it in the mind of Christ? Do you want to know what that word hypocrisy is talking about? It's not just like, oh, well, I'm, this isn't just do as I say, not as I do. Like, don't just watch what I'm doing, you know, not that kind of hypocrite. The word that is used here is the acting of a stage player. Okay, it is literally being a totally different person on purpose. And most of the time, this is a you-only knowledge. So you're going to have to dig into your own heart for this one. Outside of obvious, blatant hypocrisy, you're the only one who knows you're being a hypocrite. You're the one that's playing. You're the one that's acting. And it's hard for people to know whether you're being disingenuous or not. You're not letting people know your intentions. All right, let's keep moving. Jealousy. Oh, this is a good one. I love putting a penny in the parking meter. I love looking up the words that they use in the original language. I love it. It's so cool to me because some of the words that it's translated into English, like the words that we have don't always portray the message that they were trying to get across. Not that it was translated wrong, but just our language really falls short when it comes to translating other languages and portraying the message that they want to get across. So, jealousy here is a word, thonos, P-H-T-H-O-N-O-S, which means envy or ill will again. Now, the base of this word, thonos, comes from the Greek word thyro. And that word thyro means to shrivel or wither to spoil or ruin. Jealousy will wither you. Jealousy, envy, and want are things we do, but these feelings shrivel us, wither us, spoil us, and ruin us. They will take you from a healthy, blossoming, I, I love the imagery here, plant or bush or tree or whatever and they will just crinkle you up into a dried up brown nasty flower which is so easy to do in our culture we live in a culture of comparison and it doesn't even have to be oh i i want what they have it's just i wish i was that good or I wish I was that kind of mother, or I wish I was that kind of father to my children. I wish my truck was like that truck. I wish my house was like his house. I wish my kids were like his kids. Mm. We are to be satisfied by one thing, God. We put our satisfaction into so many different empty things that when they don't fulfill us, we're like, what happened? When they let us down, we say, why? Culture of comparison. Lastly, evil speaking, unkind speech, 
Some of yours may say backbiting or slander. I'm, a, I'm about to make some of y'all's day right here. You ready? A different word is used for gossiping. This is not the word for gossiping, so you can still gossip. <laughs> I'm kidding. Stop it. <laughs> Try 2 Corinthians 12.20. It says, quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, disorderly I don't feel like I need to say this, but I'm going to anyway. These five things that we're talking about is not an exhaustive list of things that you should be getting rid of out of your life, okay? Like, just because one of your things is not on this list of five things doesn't mean that it can stay. Read the Bible, see what God is calling you to remove from your life. Again, we're looking at these things so that we can better possess the mind of Christ. Now, backbiting is talking about somebody behind their back when they're not here. They're calling them name or doing them something that they, they did this. And I don't like how they did that. And did you hear what kind of thing they're teaching their kids I can't believe that some of you might say well what about Jesus possessing the mind of Jesus we're talking about that he called the Pharisees vipers fools hypocrites even well let me give you the difference first off it was to their face <laughs> It was to their face. And secondly, Jesus Christ was showing that there is a time, place, subject matter, and target audience when it is acceptable to call people out. It's really quiet in here this morning. Am I like, are y'all toes okay or... These five behaviors Peter is calling us to remove are all with the intention of further possessing the mind of Christ, our process of sanctification. Remember in chapter 1, because of salvation, because you've been cleansed of your sins, because of the hope that we have, because of the ransom that he paid, you need to put these things away. We've been born again. We are not subject to the power of sin in our lives. Read Romans 6, 7, and 8. Read it. Be amazed at what salvation does for you. Through Jesus and his salvation, these things are possible. Because of the new birth, we're not learning to do new things. We're learning to, un to undo things we used to do. Which brings us to our next point. Verse 2. Desire. Desire. Bring up verse number two for me. According to the foreknowledge of... No, chapter two. My bad. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. In verse one, or chapter one, he says, you have been born again. And he brings the idea into chapter number two. Fun fact, these letters weren't written with chapters and verses. They were just letters written. So the ideas were able to flow more freely than us like chopping them up into chapter one and chapter two. But it helps us for organization and reference and stuff like that. But the desire here, the, the message that he's getting across is he said, you have been born again. You're a new creature and in being born again, when you're born, you have to learn things. And in verse number two of chapter number two, he says, like newborn babies. In other parts of the New Testament, 
when it talks about milk of the word, sometimes it's referencing like the simplistic ideas. I don't really think that that is what he's trying to get across here in, in terms of like you, you need to crave like the simpleness of it. But he could because the gospel is the simplest and that's what we should crave. But he's not saying it in a like a demeaning way. He's not saying it in a you don't know a lot kind of way. He's saying you need this. When a baby is hungry and wants to be fed, you're going to know. Because it's telling you what it wants. Because of the new birth, we must desire new ways to satisfy and nourish what we need. We are to be possessed with a desire for the word. Possessed to pursue with love. This word, crave, desire, right here, it can also be translated lust. Not in a sexual way, but like a, you yearn for it, like you have to have it. You have to have it. We need to be consumed with this book. So that we can continue our sanctification of possessing further the mind of Christ. Guess what? I just lost half the guys in the room. Because I told them that they needed this book. And not just to get rid of, you know, the stuff in their life. Yeah, I'm good with, I'm good with bettering myself. But I'm not a reader. You know? I'm not a reader. I'm not. I just can't get into the word. I don't know where to start. Well, men, today's your lucky day, because I'm going to give you two places to start in the Bible that you're going to love, absolutely love. The first is Judges, the book of Judges. Anybody ever read Judges in here? Very few. Incredible. Judges is a crazy book. There's deaths, battles, murders, conquests, dudes getting their thumbs and big toes cut off, fire, that's all in the first chapter. I'm not kidding. There's through toilets. Yeah, it's in there. It's in your Bible. <laughs> Read it. All right. So first, Judges. Second, equally as crazy, very different reason. Song of Solomon. Okay? Men... Judges or Song of Solomon? Read it. Let this book pique your interest. I'm not telling you that you've got to dive right into the deepest theological pool that there is in the Bible. Read something that you're like, man, that's cool. Dude's getting their toes and big thumbs cut off. Thumbs and big toes cut off. I want that. It's in Judges. It's in Judges. Read about it. Chapter 2, he escapes through the latrine. That's the words. He escapes through the potty. That's in movies, guys. Okay, we got a, we got a movie script here. If those don't appeal to you, read John. Read Romans. In the New Living Translation, they add a, a little phrase at the end of this verse. It says, cry out for this nourishment. Nourishment. Nourishment equals sustenance. My last big point, okay, I'm really sorry, but I'm, we're diving into some good stuff here, okay? Bring up the, the next slide, please. We wanna, we're going to have a desire versus a deficiency without nourishment you're not sustained because you are malnourished you are deficient you are deficient in the nutrition that you need where there's no desire there's no nourishment no nourishment means no sustenance and you can't sustain 
experience. Let me point you to some common health deficiencies. All right? This, I'm not claiming to be a doctor here. This is as basic as WebMD. If you have a deficiency in your body of calcium, some of the symptoms that you may recognize are cramping, muscle weakness, sensations of pins and needles. When you have a deficiency of vitamin D, you will have pain in your muscles. You will even have thin, brittle, or misshapen bones. Vitamin C. If you don't have enough vitamin C, you're going to get scurvy. Scurvy is going to cause you to bruise, bleed on your gums. You're going to have weakness and rash. If you're deficient in vitamin B12, you're going to suffer from anemia, fatigue, breathlessness, numbness, memory trouble. Hello. Balance. Some of y'all wives are going to go home and be like, you are taking some B12 today. That's what's happening because your memory is terrible. If you have a deficiency in iron, you're going to suffer fatigue, dizziness, heart rate palpitations even brittle nails. If you're deficient in amino acids, you're going to have decreased immunity, digestive problems, depression, fertility issues, slowed growth in children. If you're not intaking correct spiritual nourishment, you'll be deficient. If you don't read your Bible, you'll have low spiritual weakness. If you don't memorize verses, your spiritual immune system will be susceptible. If you're not applying the truths in the Bible to your life, you will have misshapen ideas about the culture and what it should be. If you're not in this book, you're starving. You are deficient and malnourished. And I hate to be so blunt, but it is absolutely true. If any of you are suffering from low spiritual weakness, oh, that sounded like a commercial. Get in the Bible! Last one. So make a decision. Verse 3. Make a decision. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, I'm pretty sure that at the beginning of this, I said that this message was to the chosen, the saved, right? You've tasted the Lord's goodness. You've tasted his kindness in salvation. This Chapter 1 and chapter 2 is really just an extrapolated version of Romans 12.1. To present your body as a living sacrifice. Because of the stuff that he's done for you, you, you chosen, saved, you should be doing this. Anybody recognize verse 3 of chapter 2? If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Anybody know where that comes from? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Where is that? Psalms 34. Okay. You want to know something cool? Is in chapter 3, he references Psalm 34 again. So it's almost like Psalm 34 was Peter's devotional in the morning. And then he wrote this letter in the afternoon. And he was like, oh, you know, that's applicable. Oh, oh, that's good. I'm going to write this in my letter. You guys ever have that happen? When you read something and you do a devotional, you're like, oh, that applies right now. That's how it always is. But Peter, Peter references Psalm 34, and that's where we're going to end it in Psalm 34. Bring up those verses. 8, 9, and 10. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord, for those who fear him lack nothing. I love this. I love this. Young lions lack food and go hungry. We've been talking about food this whole time. 
We're talking about nourishment. We're talking about sustenance. We're talking about things that we consume. He tells us in his reference in Psalm 34 that young lions lack food and go hungry. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? You will be. Are you malnourished? Is any of this speaking into the spirit inside of you? Ben, I, I got all five of those things. Get rid of them. Ben, how do I do that? How, how do I undo 35 years of lying and deceit? How do I get rid of thinking ill will towards people? I'm going to be honest with you. It's a process. And it's called sanctification. It is the continued and improving possession of the mind of Christ and it is not going to happen immediately but I'm telling you what I'm telling you that Jesus has made it possible that all of those things you can get rid of there is not a thing there's not a thing in this world that is stronger than the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ not a thing and whatever you're struggling with, you can tell Jesus to take it. And he's already done it. Band, you can come on up. All those things that we were just talking about being deficient in. Although those were symptoms that I listed out for you, do you know what most of them said? Sometimes there are no symptoms. So I'm going to leave you, I'm going to leave you with this beach illustration. I come back with a bunch of them. When the tide goes out at the beach, it doesn't always take all the water. They leave those little, you know, small pools that are like caught or whatever. And that water still wants to go down to the beach, right? That's what water does. It travels down. And when it catches, when it catches an area of the pool that it can follow, like it's not being held back, all of that water will begin to go that one way. And the thing of it is, is as that water goes down and drains towards the beach, it will, it will carve out its little, you know, ravine, little creek, I guess, in the sand. And it's all going to go that direction. Because it can't go anywhere else. It's going to continue following the same path because it is unable to go a different one without an outside source. What can happen is a child-minded 32-year-old can come in there and put sand in the way of that water and begin digging a new way for it to get down to the beach. Guys, some of us are stuck. We're stuck in the rut that we've dug ourselves in for so long. And without an outside influence, without an outside influence, we're going to continue to go down that same path.
I have more good news for you. That outside influence is sitting right beside you. He's ready and waiting. And on this Father's Day, what I'd like to do, men, bringing it all home, I want to challenge you that the time is now. The time is now for you to partner with your spouse, to partner with your children, to partner with Jesus and say, I am not going to continue down the route that I have been going. Now, I'm saved. I know that I'm saved, but these things that I struggle with in my life, they have this power over me. No, they don't. No, they don't. You're giving them power in your life. Jesus broke those chains. They're done. <laughs> They're portraying a false sense of imprisonment over you. It's a lie. It's a lie. So fathers, as we close, as they sing this song, I want you to grab your family. I want you to lead your family down here and I want you to say, I'm, I'm going in a different direction. Agree together. That these things are not in the mind of Christ. And that you want to pursue the sanctification process with everything you've got. You want to get into the word. You want to study it. You want to find all those cool little ins and outs of the Bible? Do it together. Because we've seen at the beginning, we spend a lot of time doing other things. What are you going to do with what you got?